Let's make us famous. Welcome to episode 82 of Musically Challenged, your heaping helping of music, trivia, and pretty much whatever else we want to talk about this week. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and alongside me is Lou Schwalbach. Hello! This episode, we're going to go back to an earlier series where we talked about songs with one word in common in their title. This week's word is the color blue. Spanning across all genres of music, colors make their way into song titles pretty often, either dealing with the feeling of the singer or the alignment they're singing about. Blue, more often than not, is used for a feeling of depression or sadness when related to songs. Sometimes, however, it's just referring to the actual color itself of the topic of the song. Imagine that, huh? Today we'll be talking about some blue songs from a range of artists with no genres spared. So get back out your 64 box of Crayolas with your favorite coloring book and relax while we get this show started. Seriously, don't judge! Coloring is awesome. Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. You know, if you want to color outside the lines, we are not going to judge at all. So how have you been doing, man? Pretty good. I noticed you're actually wearing a blue shirt today. Was that on purpose? No. Why would that be on purpose? I never try to do stuff that works with what we're doing. <laughs> Delightful. So anyway, uh, you know, man, it's been uh, it's been fun. I just got back from uh, Los Angeles. We had a lot of fun out there. Anybody wants to talk to me about it, I'm willing to talk about it. I'm not going to bore everybody with the details. So, you know, it, it's one of those things. I, uh, It's always fun to get away on vacation. It's always shitty to come back and think about work. In real life. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. What do you got? Really not a whole hell of a lot. You know, nothing's nothing too exciting has been going on. Um, I think uh, we just either, I think we just registered for our gaming, so at least I was able to. Oh, I registered a while ago yeah. for GameholeCon you're talking about. Right, right. I didn't get to because I am just a normal member. I'm not like the hoity-toity <coughs> happy... Us fucking VIGs, man. Yeah, I'm not the lottie fucking da people like yeah, you are. Yeah, well, you know, what's it cost you to go to GameholeCon? 50 bucks. Yeah, you know what it cost me to go to GameholeCon this 110. year? 110. Yeah. But at the same time, you get you get into what you want to get into. Yeah. You get, like, special dice, a full yeah. set. Yeah. Like, you need more. Like, I need more. Like, any of us need more, but wait. Yeah, yes, think, we I do. I think you get a t-shirt with it. I do get a t-shirt, yeah. And then there's, there's a couple other perks to it also, like uh, getting into things earlier, other than registering right. and such. So, I mean, if you can get it, it's worth it. I just, I got shafted on it this You've year. You've tried a couple of years now, haven't you? Two years running. In fact, I, like I said, not even 15 seconds, they were all sold out. I understand they had like 50 of them, but still, I'm just like, motherfucker, really? Yeah, but I mean, they're in high demand. When I got mine, it was like open enrollment. You paid the money, you got yours. I've got, I started going year three. This is year four for me, so this is year uh, six for the con. Right. And I got mine early on, I mean, you know, and I did it the first time because I'm like, I want the free dice, really. And it was only $85 the first year I did it, so. Well, prices are going to go up. I'm just, 
I know it's only the second year, but I'm just like, I'm never going to get this, am I? <laughs> it, well, they put 25 a year up, plus whatever isn't re-spoken like, for. Renewed. Yeah, because we get two weeks to renew it. If you don't re- renew it in those two weeks, it's gone. Well, right, but still, like I said, the whole the 15 seconds is what gets me. If it was like five minutes, if it was like one minute, that'd be different. 15 fucking seconds. Yeah, yeah. So, should we get drunk? Sure. All right, so it's my turn again. I have a Wisconsin brewing group called Lake Louie Brewing. This one is actually, I've had a lot of their beers. I have not had this one. Okay. It's called Warp Speed Scotch Ale. Now, I have not come across a Lake Louie that I didn't like. Really? And now, like I said, I haven't tried this one before. I've never had any of theirs. And I, it have, smells... I have a t-shirt of theirs. Do you really? My sister threw the bar, actually, when she went she okay. goes to a beer fest every year. And they try new ones that they're trying to sample for people. And okay. And she makes notes of what's good and what's not. So she brought me a t-shirt one year. Yeah, so this is from Arena, Wisconsin. Way down by Madison. Yeah, it's a 12-ounce bottle. I don't think it's got the percentage on it, but I would guess it's in that 5 to 7 so range. No alcohol. Got it. <laughs> if, if they don't tell us there's alcohol in it, it's obviously alcohol-free. There you go. So, but should we give it a taste? Sure. It's different. It's nutty. It's very nutty. It's almost like a... What, is there something inside the... Oh, is that a... Oh, that was... It was a bubble. It looked oh. like there was a spring on the inside of it. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah, I'm like, is that a new way of keeping it foamy This or reminds me of like a nut brown ale. A little bit, but it doesn't punch you in the face as much. Yeah, it's not as, it's not as strong. It's mellow. I really, really kind of like this. It's no, got I like a, this. It's got a nut flavor to it. It's not too hoppy, even though you get a strong smell of hops on it when you smell it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't kick you in the in the taste buds too And bad. it doesn't last. That's, no. that's the part I like is the fact that it's done and gone and ready for your next drink. Yeah, so, all right, let's go ahead and uh, judge this thing. What do you got? I'm going up. I'm going up on it as well. I like this one. This is um, not my typical style of beer that I would drink. I like I, nut brown ales, but I like the fact that it doesn't linger like a nut well, brown. Well, like, what was it, a pistachio one that, that Point had that we oh, tried? Oh, that, that. Uh, snow squirrel or yeah. snow, that one. Didn't care for. You know what I mean? But this one, I could see drinking more of this. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to trivia. And this is your third week at trivia. And like the first couple, I, I've done a band again, and I'm going to ask you a question about it. So, Sticks Dennis DeYoung, in 1993, played what part on Broadway in Jesus Christ Superstar? Oh, hell. Oh, you are known as the font of useless knowledge. I am, but honestly, even though I went to Catholic school, I've never seen Jesus Christ Superstar. Oh, really? Yeah, that was I must have either been sick that day or slept or whatever, but no, that's I've heard about it. It's a very good show. I've seen it a couple times. All right, we watched part of it, and it was like the Tell Me What's Happening song. Oh, okay. And that's about the most of it. And then the, the opening theme, of course. And I am slightly stalling. Um, well, you don't have to answer now. No, I know, but I'm just trying to think of, I mean, so many biblical characters. I have an idea. I'm going to write that down. Okay. So I'm not going to say it. In fact, I'll even, if you see, I have my last page of my write-up says trivia time, which normally is where I would write right. my trivia questions. But now you can write your answer. That'll be my answer time. So. All right. So one more time for everybody out there in uh, listening world. Sticks Dennis DeYoung in 1993 played what part on Broadway in Jesus Christ Superstar? We'll give you the answer at the end. And it wasn't the cross, by the way. No, no. I'll even give you a hint. It wasn't Jesus. So if you wrote that down, scratch it out. Damn it. <laughs> All right, man. Why don't we get into this? We're doing blue songs. We are. And we're, we're going to try to stay happy, though. 
Yeah, I think for the most part, mine are relatively happy. Uh, mostly, don't... yeah. I have to say one of your choices might be a little bit, but meh. I, and I'm pretty sure I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, the middle of the three? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and get moving. I think I'll start this one out. Okay. Because you introed. Yeah. And I've got Blue Moon by the Marcells. Woo! <laughs> yeah. I just said the secret word. Everybody scream real loud. Every time we say blue. Wait, so, no, that would suck. Yeah, it would. And I think you'd blow out your microphones. So this is a classic doo-wop song that was written, a uh, co-written by Richard Rodgers of Rodgers and Hammerstein fame and Lorenz Hart, who was also a Broadway heavy hitter in the lyrics department, in 1934. Really? Yeah. A long ass time ago. It was a hit twice in 1949, one by Billy Eckstein, who's known for I Apologize, and later for Judge Harry Stone's favorite singer, Mel Torme. It's been covered by a ton of people, including Elvis Sinatra, Dean Martin, and Rod Stewart. Did not know Rod Stewart did this one. I didn't either. Um, But the one we're talking about is the one from 1961 that was done by the Marcells. It was released as the lead track on their album of the same name and became an international hit, peaking at number one on the UK Singles Chart, the US Billboard Hot 100 Chart, and the US R&B Singles Chart. This is another one of those that could be considered an oldie and a goodie. So let's go ahead and take a quick listen to Blue Moon. Without a dream in my heart Okay, I'm going to put you on a spot here. Why this version of it? Because this is the one that I think everybody knows. Okay. I mean, I just, I love the sound of it. The guys got, the guys who are singing just have such a good, he's got a bit of a whole, a higher voice. I mean, I don't know my alto or soprano or whatever the case is. Would this be alto maybe? Tenor. Tenor, okay. Tenor 20 miles away from me. But... Alto and soprano are girls. They Sure. Wouldn't that be alta and soprano? No. Okay. Well, let's see. That's why music is fucked up. But moving on. No, I obviously don't. I, I like to listen to and give my opinions, even though they're wrong half the time. So, but no, it's it's a good song. The deep bass of the background, coupled with the lead singer's smooth voice, just worked for me. It didn't work for Rogers, though, as he supposedly hated the arrangement so much he took out an ad in the newspapers, urging people not to buy it. Really? Yeah, he hated this song, which is what unfortunate. What a douchebuck. I know, what an asshole. I like this song. I mean, this version especially. I'd have to listen to like the Sinatra version and the Martin or Rod Stewart or whoever else coupled it or covered it, I should say. But no, I'd even Mel Torme for that matter. But I just think like the duop group um, just worked for me. Okay. Now it's a classic '60s music. I mean, everybody knows this song, and it's a good one. A song of sadness and loss. I I think it's just that fun music of the '60s, very bubblegum pop style of the time. I love the vocals, and the guy doing all the dip-da-dip things is really fucking good. It just makes me think of Mr. Bassman from the, Mupple, the Muppets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is another great song. So I like this style of music. My dad was big into the 50s and 60s rock and roll kind of stuff, but this is there is so much good music during that time. There mm-hmm. really is, and, and I love a good portion of it. But with that, great song. All right, let's go ahead and kick on your first one. All right, let's kick me for the first time with Baby Blue by Badfinger. It's from their 1971 album, Straight Up. The song was written by Pete Ham. It regained fame four decades later after being featured in the series finale of the television show Breaking Bad, which used the track's title lyric as a reference to the special and iconic blue methamphetamine produced by main character Walter White. Did you watch that show? I did not. I, I've heard nothing but good things about it, and it's one of those on my list to binge someday, but 
Just like Sopranos, I never got into it. Yeah, I never never watched it, but Ham wrote the song about a woman named Dixie Armstrong, whom he had dated during Badfinger's last U.S. tour. Tell me that's not a porn name. It's totally a porn name. <laughs> but let's go ahead and take a listen to the song. So this is just a lost love song. Very 70s in sound. Just solid rock music. I really enjoy this song. He talks with love in lyric about his time dating a girl that obviously meant something to him. I think this song could definitely make a playlist for that someone special or someone lost. Your thoughts? So this is a 70s ballad by a band that didn't sound familiar by name. Okay. After listening, I still don't recognize the song or the band. It's not bad. It's not great. Um, I appreciate the introduction to a new, at least to me, band, and that's kind of where I'm going to leave it. The song is just kind of, okay, it really didn't do anything for me. Fair enough. I could not tell you another Bad Finger song? No, it's you, Bad Finger Straight Up. I'm thinking what? Bad Finger Straight Up? I'm thinking Bad Finger Straight Up. Oh, never mind. Moving on. What do you got next? <laughs> All right, so I've got True Blue by Madonna. So we're going completely the other way around here. True Blue is a single and title track off of Madge's 1986 album of the same name. The song, along with much of the rest of the album, was inspired by her then-husband, Sean Penn, and her feelings for him. Apparently, True Blue was a favorite expression of his, which is how the song got its title. She has stated herself that the song is simply about true love. True love. How could she fuck Sean Penn? Lights off. <laughs> <laughs> and a bag on his head? Perhaps. Then again, I mean, it was 80s Madonna. He definitely outkicked the uh, return oh, team there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in any respect, uh, the song peaked at number one on the charts in Canada, Europe, Ireland, and the UK, but only hit number three in the US, which surprises me. That does surprise me. Because a bit, Madonna yeah. was like pretty much the girl in the 80s. Oh, yeah. I'm not a huge Madonna fan, as much of her newer stuff is overproduced crap, but this was late Madonna's hot Madonna, late 80s hot Madonna, when she was pretty good looking and could sing her own without shitty autotune. The song, as well as Material Girl, make me think of Paper Flower Dance Skate at High Roller. <laughs> because it just did, uh, way back in the day, and God, I missed that place. I think you do. You, you, you mentioned that and I didn't go to it that much, but for, I had some decent memories there, you know? Let's go ahead and take a quick listen, and then I'll finish up with mine, and then you can go into yours. again too i mean it's a good song and again i just how awesome would it be to open up another rink i think we would make money they've got three in des moines and they make bank they have one in marshfield that's been open for years mm -hmm. you know no windows it's almost cave-like dark smooth carpet because it was like it was a uh, a rug burn all over the place yeah um video games pool tables food court and you can't forget about the concrete ring with the black lights the place was fun. It was nearly always guaranteed a good time when you got invited to one of those free skate parties that everybody yeah. got. And getting back to the song, though, that is that is my memory because they played this all the time, and it was always one of their love songs that they played. Madonna has a great voice. She was hot as balls back then. And that's all I have to say. 
I love Madonna, especially her stuff from her blonde ambition time, which is was that like the Dick Tracy era? Yeah, yeah, okay. which is which is where this song is from. It's from that blonde ambition time, and it's a great song. I like the way this song sounds. The almost synth pop sound going on in the background. Her version of a song that says, "No matter what, she Madonna is going to be true and loyal." I guess she might be, but I have this feeling she was just singing a song. Just words, not actions. Exactly. Either way, great song. I still think Madonna, is, she's not blonde ambition Madonna. I still don't find her not attractive, though. She she hit that bell curve a long time ago. Like She hit that top part of that bell curve, and it's been kind of downhill from here. We have the music channel on our cable where you just throw in like 80s or whatever, I think. Right. Yeah, we do too. Right. And they'll show pictures of the artist, and they don't show old pictures of Madonna. They show current pictures. Right. With like her faded eyes and her gaunt face and everything else, and I'm just like, She "Ah." is too skinny, but I still don't find her not attractive. I'll take a pass. There's other artists of that era that I would rather go for. Fair enough. So let's go with your next blue song. My next blue song is Roadhouse Blues by The Doors. So, Roadhouse Blues is a rock song written by Jim Morrison and recorded by the American rock band The Doors. The song, which appeared on the B-side of You Make Me Real, was was first released as a single from the album Morrison Hotel in March 1970 and peaked at number 50 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Now, I want to say it was released as the B-side. I don't think I've ever heard the song You Make Me Real. No, it's almost like when in our previous episode when we talked about We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, We Are the Champions was a B-side. Right, yeah. I mean, that would have been a gold album on both sides. Yeah, the song quickly became a concert staple for the group and has been covered by numerous artists, particularly by British rock group Status Quo. Go listen to it. Really? Yeah, very good. Uh, It took two days to record the song uh, with producer Paul A. Rothschild striving for perfection. Several takes from these sessions were included on the 2006 remastered album. Surprisingly, he does not comment on Morrison, who is apparently intoxicated, going into full blues singer mode, in the words of engineer Bruce Botnick. Improvising and simultaneously flubbing several lyrics and repeating the blues phrase, money beats soul every time. The phrase can be found on the When You're Strange music from the motion picture soundtrack, with the next track being a live version of Roadhouse Blues. Get mellow and listen to Roadhouse Blues. Now, the guitar intro is absolutely amazing. The harmonica and the piano give this song a very bluesy feel. I really get into a jive flow when listening to this song. I mean, it's head bopping. It's kind of that swaying back and forth kind of thing. Jim Morrison had a wide variety of styles when he sang, though they could all sound very much alike. I know you're thinking, what the hell did he just try there? What I'm saying is that he had a a variety of layered sounds he could produce, depending on what song and what style he was singing. He has a very distinguishable voice, but he does does so much with it. Just my two cents on the whole thing, but I really like this song. Lou, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, and this one is Jim Morrison singing Drunken Blues. And really, what what else is there? It isn't the most, what most of his music was, though, was drunken music? Yeah, yeah. 
drunk or high in some way. I mean, joking or aside, both. right? You know, joking aside, it's a solid blues song. It doesn't quite have the sh- the Chicago blues soul feel to it, but it still has the rhythm. Um, it's a decent song. Excellent. Why don't we move on? What do you got? Next, I have Blue Collar Man, parentheses, Long Nights by Styx. Um, this Tommy Shaw Penn song was the lead single off of 1978's Pieces of Eight. The song talks about a guy who's jobless and waiting in the unemployment line. He's getting shit from the people from being without a job and basically begging to be hired, stating he'll do pretty much anything because he wanted happiness and a better life. Social commentary, if only more people were willing to do whatever it takes instead of relaxing on welfare, we'd be better off. That's all I'm going to say. So let's take a quick listen and then we'll move on. One last thing about that, I've heard some people actually make more money on welfare than with a real job, and that's kind of sad. Yeah. But in any respect, Blue Collar Man's a good rock song that actually betrays its era. It does not sound like a 70s rock song to me. It does sound classic rock, yes, but this one I think could be an applicable song today and work with today's music just as well as it did in the 70s. I enjoy this one. This one is passed up on quite a bit by Styx people. In fact, it's passed up on by everybody because it is Styx. Sticks was like the 70s Nickelback for some reason. Yeah, kind of. That everybody claims that they hate them, but then they secretly have their albums. <laughs> I've always liked Sticks, and not just because of Come Sail Away. Which is a good song, though. It's a great song. Renegade is fucking classic. Yep. But, no, it's a great song, and I like it. All right. What are your thoughts? The, the opening riff says it all. This is an amazing song. Blue Collar Man is a song about everyone who has ever had to work for a living. It's just saying that a job is what we need to be a success. We're not asking for handouts. We're asking for a chance. I love the idea of the song and the message it's trying to get across. I can relate with the song on a personal level, and that's half the reason I love it. The other half? It's a kick-ass song. I've been there. I mean, I, have, I don't think we've ever had unemployment lines in our lifetime. Right. Not not in Wausau, Wisconsin. Not like lines. I mean, like some of the old 70s movies like Car Wash and things like that. Right. They stood like around the block and things. But... I mean, I've been on unemployment before between jobs, and it sucks ass. Yeah. You take, you do whatever you want to take, and you know, if it means flipping burgers, you flip burgers to make your ends meet. Just work your ass off to get better. Yeah. That's. Yeah, I mean, that pretty much wraps that song up in a in a, in a nice little uh, package. It tangles it up in blue. I see what you did there. I'm gonna move on to my next song, which is "Tangled Up in Blue" by Bob Dylan. It appeared on his album Blood on the Tracks in 1975, released as a single. The Telegraph has described the song as, quote, the most dazzling lyric ever written, an abstract narrative of relationships told in an amorphous blend of first and third person, rolling past present and future together, spilling out in tripping cadences and audacious internal rhymes, ripe with sharply tuned images and observations and filled with a a painfully desperate longing. Translation, blah, fucking blah, 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 blah. That is somebody trying to sound smart. This is somebody who's like, I need big words. According to the novelist Ron Rosenbaum, Bob Dylan once told him that he'd written Tangled Up in Blue after spending a week immersed in Joni Mitchell's 1971 album, Blue. Let's see what it is that it's all about. I helped her out of a jam, I guess, but I used a little too much force. We drove that car as far as we could, abandoned it. 
said you said stuck within Joni Mitchell's I was waiting for you to say something different but you know hey whatever so I put songs like this on the list occasionally because I like to get Lou some culture he's not a Dylan fan but I am that said I really enjoy the flow of this song the folksy feel and Dylan's vocals it's not the greatest Dylan song but I like it what's it what it's about I really don't care that whole shit that I read there is just kind of like if I was reading it just like I'm reading through Rolling Stone or whatever, I get halfway through that paragraph and be like, fuck it. Taking a page out of Lou's book on that one, I, I just don't fucking care what it means. Just a fun sounding song. I mean, in reality, who has any idea of what Dylan is saying or singing about? <laughs> Period. I'm not even sure he knows half the time. Anymore, no. I mean, it, it's, it's fucking ridiculous sometimes, but... So, go ahead, rip up the Dylan song. You know what? I am a Greatest Hits fan of Dylan. I have a Greatest Hits album that I skip around on because there's only maybe about four or five songs in there that I wanted, and of course, that was before iTunes, so I couldn't get those one or two without buying the whole fucking thing. Right. Which is what we had to do back in the day, boys and girls. Yeah, we didn't have playlists. We had... Well, no, we didn't have single songs to buy. We had to buy well, the whole... Buy... Bat... No, you could buy maxi singles. They had... Yeah, but it was one song. If you wanted more than one off of an album, like let's say Metallica, for example... Just I'm just picking a random album. If you wanted Enter Sandman, they made a single of it. But if you wanted Enter Sandman, Unforgiven, Sad But True, and The Wolf Wolf of Wolf and Man, you couldn't get that without buying the whole damn thing. True. So you spend 15 bucks instead of the four that you would have to now. True. That being said, getting back to Dylan, Greatest Hits fan, I don't come across this song very often. In fact, really I haven't heard of it until the Hootie and the Blowfish song, Only Want to Be With You, when Darius Rucker sings Ain't Bobby So Cool and Yeah, I'm Tangled Up in Blue. Darius Rucker stated the song was a tribute, but Dylan still sued Hootie and the Blowfish. So Of course he did. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. When you can't make money on your work anymore, you sue other people who mention it. Right. So the song apparently was about life and marriage falling apart, not fun, and um, don't really so much care for the song. I'm not going to say I hate it because I I don't want to – I'm going to reserve eight for a worse song. Okay. But I'm not a fan. All right, so what do you got next? Next, we have Behind Blue Eyes by The Who. Now, Behind Blue Eyes is a single off of The Who's 1971 album, Who's Next? Ha! Clever. And now I'm just thinking of Goldberg. So, the song is a mournful ballad that Townshend... Is it Townsend or Townshend? I, I don't know. That Pete sang about how lonely it was to be powerful, and the lyrics were his own feeling of angst. Yeah, he was an angsty bitch at one time, too. He still is, kind of. <laughs> well, he can't hear anymore, and that's... Honestly, I think losing your hearing would be one thing that would just drive me nuts. What? Exactly. Now, but it was cool in his case, unlike the emos now. As one of the more prolific bands of the era, they were indeed powerful. This is not a fun song by any means, but it still shows the softer side of the band. It's a classic song that everyone knows, if anything, for the opening line, no one knows what it's like to be the Batman. I mean, I mean, Batman. <laughs> so, let's go ahead and take a listen... And I've got one last thing. No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind the blue eyes. No one knows what it's like 
to be hated. My last thing is for anybody listening, forget the Limp Bizkit shit version because it never existed. Okay. I don't know Limp Bizkit did a cover. Oh, yeah, they did. Look it up. It's it's not good. Okay. Well, most of what they did was not good. Some of it you could listen to, like the Roland song for The Undertaker was okay. Yeah, I guess. But it's only because it was for The Undertaker. If it weren't for that, I wouldn't listen to it. So, this is a classic gem of a song. The Who are one of those bands that I can either really like or really hate. The acoustic guitar makes this song feel nicer than it really is. It's a song about vengeance and hatred. It really is. So this should be a red song, not a blue song. (laughs) The Who hit it out of the park on this one, though. I mean, it's a really good song. It's a great song. I'd even go so far as to say it's a great song. Wow. I'm not a big Who Who fan. Are you a Greatest Hits Who fan? Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. But that's really all I have to say about it. I, It's a great song. So what do you got next, then? Up next, I have I Guess That's Why They Call It The Blues by Elton John. I guess. <laughs> so this was uh, a song by English singer Elton John and music by John and Davy Johnstone and lyrics by Bernie Taupin. No way. Yeah. I didn't know Taupin wrote lyrics. Yeah, all the time, really. He apparently was good at it. Yeah. So in the U.S., it was one of John's biggest hits in the 1980s, holding at number two for four weeks on the adult contemporary chart and reaching number four on the Billboard Hot 100. That's actually a pretty cross-genre, cross and mm-hmm. both of them that high, that's pretty good. The song features Stevie Wonder on harmonica. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. The song received largely favorable reviews with Bill Yanovitz of All Music declaring the song Likely to stand the test of time as a standard. No shit. You think? So Elton, Elton's lyricist Bernie Taupin wrote the song as a love letter to his wife at the time, Tony Russo, who is the sister of the actress Renee Russo. Oh, no shit. Yeah. In the album credits, Bernie wrote, Hey, Tony, this one's for you. Let's see why they call it the blues. And I guess that's why they call it the blues. So it's a great song from Elton's piano to John or to Stevie Wonder's harmonica. It's just a great song from start to finish. This was on Elton's album Too Low for Zero from 1983. I can listen to Elton sing for hours. I know he's getting ready to retire, but from a fan, I ask that you don't just keep giving us more music. God damn it, John! But it's a great song, great song, great song. I I just love this song. I You're really gushing, do. Gushing, dude. I know. I know. <laughs> This is one of my favorite Sir Elton songs, hands down, easily. It is a great song. His piano work is impeccable. Impeccable, there's a good word for it. You went to the dictionary for big yeah. words. <laughs> the lyrics are meaningful, and it's just a good song to listen to and relax with. As an aside to this one, you know he's touring right now as the, I do. the last tour? Nicole bought us tickets. What? We're going to the cities. When? Um, I don't remember. Uh, no, actually, it's the week after uh, Valentine's Day. And why didn't she ask if we wanted to go? I don't know. It was like $125. I don't care. But yeah, it's the final tour she got us tickets to. I was, I was kind of, she, she has said, she sent me an email at work saying, take off such and such a date. I'm like, why? We're going to Minneapolis to see Elton John. I'm like, fucking A, dude, right? 
I've seen him before. This is the second time I've seen Elton John. You see that? <laughs> and I That's got one for each time you've seen Elton John. You know, and his concert it was three and a half hours by himself, no opening act. We were in nosebleeds when we saw it, and but it was it was absolutely worth it. I mean, I would the tickets weren't sold out when we checked, and that was only about a week ago. So I'm gonna have to look into that. Definitely because he he puts on a killer show, dude. I mean, the guy's older than dirt, but he's still got his voice. He doesn't do the super high stuff like the Benny and the Jets thing, but what he does is he works it so it works. Right. So you know though, I just got back from vacation. I am broke ass. Kids are expensive. Yeah, they are, especially ones that are going to school. So what's your last one? My last one is Midnight Blue by Lou Graham. Now, Midnight Blue is a single that was released on the former Foreigner frontman Lou Graham's solo album, his debut, 1987's Ready or Not. Wasn't self-titled. Yay! Graham's voice is nearly instantly recognizable, and the song reached number one on the Billboard Hot Mainstream Rock tracks and number five on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Music, music critics appreciated it as well, one of which Brett Adams stating, despite its hit status, it's one of the decade's truly unappreciated singles. And I would agree with that. The song says that life is simple. It's either Cherry Red or Midnight Blue. Per Graham, in an interview with the Song Facts, Cherry Red is everything going as best as it can, while Midnight Blue is dark and mysterious. The singer sings that he doesn't regret how he's treated the lady, but that everything will be Cherry Red when he decides to go try to get her back. Let's go ahead and take a listen to Midnight Blue. I remember what my father said. He said, son, life is simple. It's either cherry red or midnight blue. Now, Midnight Blue might be dark and mysterious, but there's no mystery that this is a pretty solid rock song, and I really can't explain why, but I really, really, really like this song. This is one that came on the radio back in the late 80s, and like I said, I've liked Foreigner. Foreigner's a great band. I agree. And having his voice as solo work is pretty amazing. His instrumentals are easily follow his lead, and this has nothing to do with the artist's name. I just enjoy the song and Lou Graham. Sometimes I start writing before I listen to a song. I we're, I think we're both guilty of that. Because so, I've done that on your songs, and I'm just like, write what actual opinion is later. So I said, I don't think I've ever heard this song before getting ready for this. Then I put the song on, oh, and I hit the chorus, and I'm like, that song. It's that song. No, I have no feelings about this song. It, it doesn't do a thing for me. I just think it's a little boring and, and really not that great. Don't get me wrong, it's not horrible, just kind of, for me, just kind of blah. Fair enough. You know, I don't have a whole lot to say. I, I don't have anything bad to say about it, I don't have anything good to say about it. So why don't you finish it up then with a better one then? I think I do finish it up with a better one, but we'll see what you think. So, Blue on Black by the Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band. What was that same title? Blue on Black. That sounds a little better. You what? kind of stumbled on your tongue a little Did bit I? there. Yeah. So, written by Shepherd with songwriters Mark Shelby and Tia Sillers... Noah Hunt provides the lead vocal. The song was originally released on their second studio album, Trouble Is, in 1997. In April 1998, it was released as a single and spent 42 weeks on the U.S. Billboard Hot Mainstream Rock Tracks chart and rose to number one, remaining there for six non-consecutive weeks. Blue and Black was regarded as the best rock song of 1998 by various media, including winning the Billboard Music Award for Rock Track of the Year, and the song's popularity helped make Trouble Is the 1999 Blues Album of the Year in Billboard. 
The song continues to be a top download of the Kenny Wayne Shepherd catalog, ranking number one on Rhapsody. In August 2017, in an August 2017 interview, Shepard discussed the song's origins. We wrote that when we were down in New Orleans, me, Mark, and Tia. I had the music, and Mark and I were just rolling with the music and tried to develop things up. Tia came up with this idea based on a shirt that I was wearing that was blue and black. She noticed the two colors that were dominant on my shirt, and if you mix those two colors together, black consumes the blue. It doesn't amount to anything if you don't put the two together. You still have one color instead of creating a new color. So she built on that idea and it became this really deep song. It's really up to the listener to determine how to, how they apply it. So many people have applied it to death in the family, an abusive relationship, a broken relationship or whatever. There are so many different ways. That's what's beautiful about music and lyrics is trying to write a song that the listener can apply to their own experience in whatever way seems fit. And that's one of those songs. So let's go ahead and check it out. The feel of this 1998 release feels like it came right out of 1976. I love the feel of a, of a lot of the stuff that Kenny Wayne Shepherd Band puts out. I don't think I can add much to what Kenny already said, so I won't. I'll just say that I love the song, and I love the blues feel. Lou? What does the song mean? Don't care. I remember first hearing the song on the radio and was like, who the fuck is this and why have I not heard more from him? Fair and enough. then you saw what he looks like. He's like a skinny white boy. He's like fucking Kid Rock mm-hmm. singing this kind of stuff. And that guy's got a hell of a voice. He does. He's one of those that, as I mentioned before, when you see him, you wonder how that voice came out of that young man's body. Great song. It's a shame he kind of disappeared. However, his music does live on because Five Finger Death Punch did a cover of this. Okay. <laughs> Their cover is pretty badass. I would highly recommend taking a look at it. Okay. Um, no, I love this song. I don't know if I would buy the whole album because I'm not sure if all of his stuff is like this. But if it is even close to this, it's absolutely worth a purchase. Fair enough. That's what I got. All right. Trivia, man. All right. Right so, now you're at 50%. You're at one and one So you're going to reread for me? I am going to reread for you. So Sticks Dennis DeYoung in 1993 played what part on Broadway in Jesus Christ Superstar? I'm going to say Pontius Pilate. You are correct. Because he has the look of somebody who would be Pilate. Okay. Because if you've ever seen anything like the high Greek or Roman whatever, he kind of has that air about him. Does he? Yeah. If you've ever seen what he looks like. I have a Dennis DeYoung CD that's uh, Dennis DeYoung with a symphony orchestra. He sings music of sticks with an orchestra, kind of like Metallica did. Okay. It's pretty badass. Nice. And I love his voice. I think he's got a killer voice. So that puts you at two and one. Hey, I'm happy to be plus for a little while. Okay, listen up, everybody. Turn up your volumes. Announcement. So with that, we want to thank you guys for listening. Let us know if you like this episode or any other episode. You can do that in a few uh, simple ways. You the first find... way is Twitter. You can get us at, at MCPodcast17. If you want to send us some lyrics, uh, not lyrics, but if you want to send us 
a playlist, 10 songs, 10 artists. Well, if they want to send us lyrics with that, sure. Yeah, that's up to you if you want to put the effort towards that. Send us love, send us hate. We might even do a poll in there, too. And again, that's at MCPodcast17. And what are the other ways, Chad? Well, we can you can find us with uh, email. You can reach out to us at eclecticmediaproject at gmail.com. Or if you're more into that social media thing, you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenged Podcast. Either way, drop us a line. We'll get back to you. And with that, I want to thank you guys for listening. And have a great night. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.